this podcast is brought to you by the Gosh Learning Academy. Welcome back to Master the MRCPCH. My name is Rian Thomas and I'm the Digital Learning Education Fellow at Great Ormond Street Hospital. In this podcast, you can expect to hear from experts here at Great Ormond Street Hospital to give you an overview of a topic on the RCPCH curriculum. We hope this will be useful if you're revising for your exams or just brushing up on a clinically relevant topic. In today's episode, we'll be speaking with Dr. Shireen Tadros, a consultant in clinical genetics here at Great Ormond Street Hospital, and we'll be covering the clinical features, etiology and management of Marfan syndrome. This topic corresponds to lots of points under the RCPCH theory exam syllabus under genetics and dysmorphology, including diagnosing and managing common genetic conditions, and patients with Marfan syndrome could be included in the clinical exam. They'd be very good candidates for a cardiology or musculoskeletal examination. It's always great hearing from you, so if you want to get in touch, please do so via social media. Our details will be at the end, and we hope you enjoy this week's episode. Thank you, Shireen, for coming on the podcast today. You're very welcome. So before we get going, do you mind telling our listeners what you'd like them to get out of listening to today's podcast? Sure. So what I'd love listeners to be able to do by the end of the episode is to describe the genetic basis of Marfan syndrome, to describe the clinical features of the condition, and to have an idea of the principles of the management of the condition. That sounds perfect. So shall we start off by having a bit of an overview about what Marfan syndrome is? Sure. So Marfan syndrome is a genetic condition which affects the connective tissue. It's characterised by cardiovascular manifestations, typical ophthalmological problems and other classic features. Questions may pop up in the theory exam and you may also be asked to examine affected individuals in the clinical exam. Great. So should we start off with the genetics of Marfan syndrome? So what is the genetic basis of this condition? Marfan syndrome is caused by mutations in the fibrillin 1 gene. You'll see it written down as FBN1 on chromosome 15. This codes for a protein also called fibrillin 1. And this is a really important component of microfibrils in the extracellular matrix. These are essential in maintaining the integrity of connective tissue. Fibrillin contributes to the elasticity, the tensile strength, and the durability of various types of connective tissue. And it's particularly rich in the walls of the proximal aorta and the zonules of the ocular lens, which is why you get some of the clinical features that we see in Marfan syndrome, which we'll talk about later. The FBN1 gene itself is very large, and over a thousand different variants in the gene have been shown to cause disease, i.e. they're what we call pathogenic. You will still see the term mutation in relation to these variants, but we usually use the term pathogenic variants in view of mutation these days. Marfan syndrome is inherited in an autosomal dominant manner. That means that there is a 50% chance that any child of a person with Marfan syndrome will inherit the pathogenic variant and thus be affected themselves. In around a quarter of individuals, the variant is found to be de novo, which means it's happened for the first time in that person. Great. And do we know how common this condition is? There's an estimated prevalence, um, and that's around 1 in 5,000 to 1 in 10,000. Now let's move on to the clinical features. So what are the clinical features of Marfan syndrome? Sure. So it might be helpful to approach this by system. We'll start with the eye. The most common ocular manifestation is myopia or short-sightedness, which may progress rapidly during childhood. 
So it wouldn't be uncommon to see children with minus three, minus four prescriptions, which would be unusual otherwise. A classic feature is ectopia lentis, which is dislocation or subluxation of the lens. But this is only seen in approximately 60% of affected individuals. In Marfan syndrome, the lens subluxates superiorly and temporally, so upwards and outwards. In homocystinuria, which is one of the important differentials, the lens subluxates inferiorly and medially, i.e. downwards and inwards. So that can be a good clue in differentiating those two diagnoses. The cardiovascular manifestations are really important to be aware of as they're the major sources of morbidity and early mortality in Marfan syndrome. However, with proper management, the life expectancy of someone with Marfan syndrome approximates that of the general population. The manifestations are classically dilatation of the aorta, which can predispose to dissection, also mitral and tricuspid valve prolapse, and enlargement of the proximal pulmonary artery. Now, many people end up in our clinic due to skeletal features, which could be compatible with Marfan syndrome, the classic Marfanoid habitus. There's lots of different skeletal features that can be picked up on examination, which are typical for Marfan syndrome. The classic presentation is somebody who is quite tall with disproportionately long limbs. So if you measure the height and you measure the arm span, you'll find that there's an increase in the span to height ratio and a decrease in the upper to lower segment ratio. You might see chest deformities such as pectus carinatum or excavatum. You may see arachnodactyly. When we're talking about arachnodactyly, we're just meaning that the fingers are unusually long. And the way you measure that is by examining for the wrist and thumb sign. When we talk about the wrist sign, we mean that if you ask the patient to make a fist and essentially stick their thumb out of that fist across their palm, um, that they're able to extend their adducted thumb beyond the ulnar border of the palm, and they can do that uh, without, with or without assistance from the patient or from the examiner. Um, and if we're talking about a positive wrist sign, that means that you, you basically get the patient to put their thumb and their little finger around their contralateral wrist, uh, and it's a positive thumb sign when the tip of the thumb covers the entire fingernail of the fifth finger when it's wrapped around that wrist. So it's a bit difficult to appreciate on a podcast, but hopefully you get the idea. There's also some really useful pictures on um, marfan.org website to explain that in a little bit more detail. Sometimes you see classical facial features. These include a long and narrow face with deeply set eyes, down slanting of the eyes, which we call the palpable fissures, flat cheekbones, which we call malar hypoplasia, and a small and receding chin, so micronathia or retronathia. The palate can be highly arched and it can be narrow, and there may also be tooth crowding in association with that. You may also have a history of spontaneous pneumothorax. Great. Um, And when you see someone with this pattern of clinical features, what do you think about as differential diagnoses? I think one of the main differential diagnoses for me is Lois Dietz syndrome, which is another autosomal dominant condition. This includes many of the same features of Marfan syndrome. You can get the long face, the down slanted palpable fissures, the high arch palate, you can get the small chin, and you can get pectus deformity and scoliosis and long fingers. And importantly, you get the aortic root aneurysm with dissection. 
But there's some features that you see in Marfan syndrome that you don't see in low esthetes at all. So for example, ectopia lentis. And there's some features that you see in low esthetes that you don't see in Marfan syndrome. So in low esthetes, you would also typically get widely spaced eyes, a broad uvula or a bifid uvula, cleft palate, and you can get craniosynostosis. You also often get things like um, environmental allergens, food allergens, asthma, atopy, and inflammatory bowel disease. And the aortic aneurysms that you see in Lewis Dietz syndrome behave very differently from those in Marfan syndrome. They're often a lot more aggressive. You get much more frequent dissection and rupture at small dimensions and in early childhood in Lewis Dietz compared to Marfan syndrome. Another important differential would be Sprintz and Goldberg syndrome, which is another connective tissue disorder often associated with developmental disability and less likely to get cardiovascular manifestations. Homocystinuria, as I mentioned before, kids with homocystinuria would get myopia. They also get dislocation of the lenses, as I mentioned, but in a different direction to children with Marfan syndrome. With homocystinuria, you're likely to see developmental delays, which you don't get with Marfan syndrome. And you may also have other problems such as problems with growth, failure to thrive, seizures, um, and osteoporosis. Another important differential diagnosis is Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. One of the frequent referrals that we get into our genetics clinic is, please see this child who has a marfanoid habitus. Typically, it's a, it's a teenage boy and they're kind of long and thin, um, and they're wondering whether their features could be accounted for by Marfan syndrome. And but as you will know, there are different subtypes of Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, including uh, vascular type, cardiac valvular type, kyphoscoliotic type. And a lot of those are associated with vascular abnormalities, including aortic aneurysm and dissection. Usually when we're getting these referrals, we are being asked to look at children that essentially would fulfill the criteria for benign hypermobility type Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. And one of the quite useful things to notice between people with Marfan syndrome and with benign hypermobility type EDS are that in Marfan syndrome, people tend to be quite stiff and they don't tend to be bendy in the same way that people with benign hypermobility syndromes are. Obviously, if you have other features associated with different types of Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, then you, you would be considering those in your differential. So for example, if there's atrophic scars, if there's very thin or translucent skin, if there's a history of intestinal rupture um, or a family history of similar sort of organ ruptures or uterine ruptures, then you'd be thinking about one of the Ehlers-Danlos syndrome subtypes. Brilliant. So we've been over the genetic cause and clinical features, but how is a diagnosis of Marfan syndrome actually made? So we usually make the diagnosis by meeting a set of criteria. When you examine the patient, you generate something called a systemic score. And that includes many of the features that I mentioned earlier, such as the facial features, the span to height ratio, the feet, etc. I'm not going to go over this in detail because it would be very dull for a podcast, but different features give you different number of points. But it's worth looking at through this for your exams. And there's lots of good resources online, including a website called marfan.org, which has an excellent section with resources for healthcare providers. And, and it goes through that systemic score in detail. You may have heard of the classic Ghent criteria, which I used to make a diagnosis. And these have been revised 
meaning that any patient with an aortic Z score of more than two and one of ectopia lentis, a fibrillin one variant, or a systemic score of more than seven would reach the threshold for diagnosis. Where you have a family history, the threshold is lower. So in that case, you need one of ectopia lentis, a systemic score of seven, or an aortic Z score over two would reach the threshold. If somebody is under the age of 20, then that Z score would need to be more than three. And how are patients with Marfan syndrome managed clinically? So the clinical management is dependent on the features that are present in the particular patient, and it's multidisciplinary in approach. So top of the list, it's really important to have a referral to cardiology for assessment and investigation if there's a high suspicion of Marfan syndrome. You would also need to ensure that the patient is referred to ophthalmology to assess for eye manifestations. There's a chance that the skeletal manifestations might require surgical management. And if the patient needs genetic testing, that can be arranged by the pediatric team if the patient meets the criteria set out in the National Test Directory. However, referral to your local clinical genetics department would be needed to discuss inheritance or if there are any concerns about a possible genetic differential diagnosis. Thank you, Shireen, for going through that. It's a really beautiful summary of of Marfan syndrome. Uh, Before we let you go, we're just going to ask you the same three questions that we ask all of the guests on this podcast. So our first one is, are there any classic exam questions that pop up about the subject? I think for exams, I would familiarise myself with the systemic features of Marfan syndrome and roughly the Ghent criteria and what features would point you towards a diagnosis. And I, I guess it's worth highlighting that, again, uh, people with Marfan syndrome might have a kind of classic pattern of clinical features, which means they're good candidates for the clinical exam. Yeah, absolutely. Very stable and um, can tick a lot of your boxes in terms of things to examine in uh, in. Uh, MRCPCH. Great. So the second question is, are there any useful resources that you'd recommend people having a look at? So we mentioned it before, marfan.org or marfan.dx, which has all the really helpful information about making the diagnosis, what the systemic features are. You can actually put your patient's features into a scoring system on there and and it tells you what the score would be for that patient. Gene reviews is helpful for any genetic disorders and it gives a really comprehensive summary of the features and the differential diagnosis and the management. Brilliant and just to finish off what are your three takeaway learning points from this podcast? I would say that Marfan syndrome is an autosomal dominant condition that both family history and examination are really important in making the diagnosis and that cardiovascular surveillance is absolutely vital and provides the mainstay of surveillance. Brilliant. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today, Shireen. We're really grateful for your time. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Master the MRCPCH. If you want to get in touch, you can do so via social media. You can find Gosh Learning Academy on Twitter, Instagram and LinkedIn. If you want to hear more about the work of the Gosh Learning Academy, you can visit our website at www.gosh.nhs.uk and search Learning Academy. We also have lots of exciting new podcasts coming soon. To find out more, search Gosh Pods wherever you get your podcasts.